Well, we continue in our worship today with the reading of God's Word. Today we are in Zechariah chapter 9, and we will read verse 9 as well as 11 through 12. So if you are there, please rise for the reading of God's Word. Again, that's Zechariah chapter 9. We will read verse 9 and then 11 through 12. Follow along with me, please. For this is the word of the Lord. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Verse 11. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please take your seats and join us as we pray together with a song. Uh, Could we begin with a greeting? Uh, When I say Christ is risen, uh, could you respond by saying, He is risen indeed, okay? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's try that one more time. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Yes, he is risen indeed. Happy Easter, everyone. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus' resurrection is a historical event. Jesus really rose again from the dead, not just in spirit, but he rose again in the body. And he appeared to many, many people. And what we have in the Bible are eyewitness accounts of Jesus' resurrection. He rose again from the dead, and it was a historical event. But the resurrection of Jesus is not just a historical event. It's much more than that. There are a few things that we can draw out from what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that first... Jesus' resurrection, it confirms his identity as God's son. Romans 1.4 says this, Jesus was declared to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. And so, in other words, the resurrection validates who he is. He wasn't just some miracle worker who appeared. He is and was God's son. The Bible also tells us in Romans 4.25 that Jesus' resurrection was for our justification. Jesus, our Lord, who was raised for our justification. The Bible also tells us in John 14.19 that Jesus' resurrection guarantees that those who believe in him will also rise again from the dead. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, John 14.19 Uh, I write it in in all of my cards for people who've passed away. But Jesus says simply and plainly, because I live, you also will live. Because I live, you too shall live. Jesus' resurrection guarantees that we who believe in him will also rise again. And so because of this, 1 Peter 1.3 says that God, Because of Jesus' resurrection, we can have hope 
We can have hope in the good or bad, in the life or death, in this world or in the next. Jesus' resurrection is the reason for hope. And so today on this Easter Sunday, I want to spend some time thinking about hope. And hopefully by the end of this message, we can all place once again our hope in the resurrected Jesus. Today's passage uh, draws us to two truths about hope. The first is this, lasting hope is found in Jesus. And the second, hope shines brighter in despair. So the first point, lasting hope is found in Jesus. Today's passage uh, is written during a time of deep, deep disappointment. If you've been following us for the past month in this series, you'll know that in this part of the Bible, God had called His people to return home and to rebuild what was in ruins, the temple, the city, and the wall. And so the people come with lots of excitement and expectation. It goes well at first, but then there's serious opposition and the project stops. How many of us have started a project? How many of us have started a degree? We've started a book or a class or some DIY project with the expectation that you'll see it through to the end. But then something gets in the way. That something always is called life. Life always seems to be getting in the way of life. Children, you know what this is like. You beg your parents to buy you this Lego set with this ambition that you are going to finish this Lego set. Or you beg your parents to buy you this thousand-piece puzzle thinking that you can solve it or fix it. But then you see the iPad and you're like, oh, great. Life happens. Life gets in the way. Yesterday, our boys started a volcano project. It was making this uh, makeshift volcano. And they went from step four to step five. And at step four to step five, the instructions was uh, st- stated, wait 36 hours for the clay to dry completely. <laughs> when I saw that, I thought, okay, we're not going to finish this. Pray we finish it. <laughs> See, this is what God's people faced. They had uh, put their hands to this project thinking that they were going to finish it, but then life got in the way, and so they retreated. But then we saw that God calls Haggai the prophet, and he calls everyone back to the work of rebuilding. He reminds them of the importance of this unfinished project. And so with newfound inspiration and expectation, they start all over again. Now, a few years pass, roughly two years, two years pass, and what happens after two years? Excitement is not sustained, but it begins to wane. It starts to dissipate. They thought that they were building this amazing city and this amazing temple, but when they see it all coming together, they're like, wait, this is not what we thought it would be like. It's so small, it's dinky, the city is lackluster. You know, there's the saying, right? Uh, expectation is the thief of joy. Right? You ever go to a restaurant with this, this, these grand expectations and what happens? Those expectations steal your joy. 
Well, the people also expected something amazing was going to happen, but it was actually really, really lame. So we find the people going from excitement to disappointment, excitement to disappointment, excitement to disappointment. Church, doesn't that sound a lot like our lives? We get excited about something, a new stage in our life, a new home to live in, a new place to visit, a new position at work, and rarely do our expectations ever, ever get met. Church and ministry is no different. You often join a ministry or a church thinking you're going to get more involved, but the more and more you do, you realize, well, you know, it's not living up to my expectations. You know, often our lives are going up and down this roller coaster of excitement to disappointment, expectation and disappointment. Remember a few years back, there was the movie um, Soul. It was the Pixar's movie, Soul. It was about this uh, musician uh, by the name of Joe who uh, his entire life, all he wanted to do, he was a music teacher, but all he wanted to do was achieve uh, this dream of playing in this amazing jazz band. That's, that's the, uh, the banner there. Now, all throughout the movie, he worked so hard to join this band. He even comes back from the dead, literally, for those of you who watched it. He fights death, and he gets to play in this band. He forfeits relationships. He fights through all sorts of adversity because this was his dream. And then it finally happens. He gets to play. He plays at this band. He plays an amazing, amazing solo. And at the end, when they're outside the jazz club, he asks, so what's happening next? And Dorothy, the lead singer, says, we just come back tomorrow and we do the same thing all over again. And he looks sad. He has a sad look on his face. And Dorothy asks, what's wrong? And Joe says these words. He says, it's just I've been waiting on this day, for this day, my entire life. I thought it would feel different. Joe had these grand expectations of what it would be like to finally achieve the dream that he wanted. And when he does... He says, it's not what I thought. And this past week, I actually got to spend some time with family, extended family, uh, in D.C., New Jersey, and New York. I saw people and family for a, ranging in a, in a wide uh, range of uh, different life stages. I saw my brother, who is a single, trying to find his place in society. Uh, I saw another brother who, is, who was newly engaged and planning his wedding. I saw my sister, who was in the thick of things, raising four young children. I saw my mother, who was trying to now find her identity after she had raised four children on her own. I met with my aunt and uncle, who were just a few years away from retirement, planning their next steps. And as I was engaging and talking with all of these family members, it was the same theme over and over again. Excitement, disappointment. Excitement, disappointment. Some people were excited about marriage, while other people were disappointed about marriage. Some people were excited about having children, and some were disappointed about raising children. Some were excited about work. Others were excited that there was, or others were disappointed that there was no perfect job or company that fit them. 
There were some that was excited about retirement, but also disappointed that it was coming to an end. Excitement, disappointment, excitement, disappointment. The people in today's passage are also deflated, seeing that their life is not meeting their expectations. They've worked so hard. They've come back over and over and over again. But what happens? Disappointment. That's the result. And how does God answer? He sends Zechariah, chapter 9, with this important message. Verse 9, he says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout out loud, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. See, God doesn't say, hey, things are going to get better soon. He doesn't say, find joy in the moment. He doesn't say, lower your expectations. He doesn't give the people false hope or cheap joy. He doesn't give short-lived hope, hope that lasts only as long as a stick of gum. Instead, what does he say? He says, rejoice greatly. He raises their expectations. He says, no, be excited again even more. Bring up your expectations even more. Why? Why? Because your king is coming to you. See, God is talking about Jesus here, the humble king who comes to us, the humble king who came to us first as a dependent baby, and the humble king who came to us riding into Jerusalem, not on a white horse, but on a donkey, a lowly beast of burden. The king who came to us not wearing a crown of jewels, but a crown of thorns. A king who came to us not to receive adulation and praise, but a king who came first and foremost to take up our sins, all of it. And a king who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. See, God is drawing our attention to this king who was crucified, dead, and buried, and this king who rises out of the grave to now come to us. And through the mouth of the prophet, God is saying, look, that is your hope. Through the mouth of the prophet, he is reminding the church this morning on Easter Sunday that our hope, that our lasting hope is in the resurrection of Jesus. In the ups and downs of our lives, our hope is found not in a project, but in a person. Our hope is found not in the success of a project, but in the salvation that's given through this person. Our hope is found not in the meeting of expectations, but in the meeting of this resurrected King. Friends, if your hope is not in this King, however noble the things that you are hoping in may be, you will continue to churn through the cycle of expectation and disappointment, expectation and disappointment. Church, there is no life stage. There is no friend, no partner, no spouse. There is no career choice. There is no opportunity that will continue to produce in you lasting hope. All of our hope in this world is short-lived. But there is a king. There is a king who gives us lasting hope. And God, through the prophet Zechariah, directs our attention to him 
this morning. Lasting hope, God says, is found in this king. You know, I for one know how much expectation uh, ruins life. The more you raise your expectations, the more you get excited about something, you know you are going to face disappointment. And so I have a tendency of always downplaying things. I have a tendency of always being the pessimist, to never hype things up because why? I never want to disappoint. But interestingly, for people who are deflated, God says, no, get more excited. No, raise your expectations. Why? Because your king, Jesus, is coming. He's saying, raise your expectation because I will meet that. I will exceed that because Jesus in His work will blow all of your expectations out of the water. And so this passage shows us that lasting hope is found, is found only, only, only in Jesus. But the second thing it tells us, it's that hope, hope shines brighter in despair, in the context of despair. Look with me at verses 11 and 12. This is what it says. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. In these verses, God, He he first refers to us as prisoners. Verse 11, He speaks to us as prisoners in a waterless pit. So imagine, right? This well, this deep, deep well that has no water, just being enclosed up, you're walled up in this small, small, tiny space. There's no water, no space. And more importantly, right, if you're in a waterless pit, you have no sight. Right? So if you're thrown, if you're a prisoner in a well, it means you can't see anything around you, right? And it's, it's, it's a symbol and sign of hopelessness because the only thing you can see is the small circumference in the sky. You ever go on vacation and, and, and get a resort, right? The room with the view is always much more expensive, right? People pay to see something beautiful. A, being a prisoner in a waterless pit means you can't see anything except this small, small circle. Up. This situation, a prisoner in a waterless hope, describes a hopeless situation. But if you look in verse 12, he refers, God refers to us as a prisoner of hope. In other words, people who are beholden to hope, people who are ensnared by hope, people who are captive to hope. And so the question is, which is it? Are we prisoners in a waterless pit or are we prisoners of hope? And the answer is, yes. Yes, we are both. See, this apparent contradiction is is actually no contradiction at all when we view it through the lens of the gospel. See, we cannot tell the story of hope without first telling the story of despair. We cannot experience hope without first experiencing disappointment. See, when the Bible talks about hope, it's much more than optimism. It's much more than positive thinking. Hope 
is described as hands being stretched out when one's feet is mired in suffering. Hope is described as a heart that longs for liberation when one's body is stuck in pain and disappointment. You see, the Bible uses the analogy of childbirth to describe this idea. The Bible says in John 16 that hope is a lot like this woman who's about to give birth. And in birth, she is facing severe pain. She's in so much pain and struggle and toil. But once she gives birth, what happens? That pain has a completely new context. That pain or the story of pain is now told against the backdrop of new life. And so that pain is not without purpose. See, the Bible uses a woman in childbirth to describe what this hope is. It's like a woman about to give birth. She is in severe, severe pain, but once she gives birth, there is newfound joy. That joy now is telling the story of that pain. In fact, the Bible would say that joy is multiplied, it's magnified because of pain. See, that's what hope is. Our appetite for hope, our keenness towards it grows in the context of despair when we face disappointment. You see, this disappointment causes us not to draw further away from God, but it causes us to draw closer to Him. Hope in many ways produces, or, or disappointment in many ways produces hope. The disappointments that we face in life is often a palate cleanser. You know, that, that piece of uh, ginger that you eat when you're in between pieces of raw fish, that palate cleanser, you put it in your mouth, and what does it do? It heightens, it cleanses, it heightens your senses, and that's what despair does. That's what disappointment does. It ought to increase our appetite for something real, for something pure, for something much, much more lasting. And we find this concept in Jesus, don't we? We celebrate Jesus' resurrection today. We worship Him as the resurrected King. But friends, there is no resurrection without first death. There is no salvation without suffering. There is no Easter without Good Friday. There is no hope without first darkness covering the earth. And true hope is not the absence of despair, but it's the answer to it. And so God calls us what? He calls us prisoners of hope. We are captive to hope. We are people mired in suffering, disappointment, despair here on earth. But what? We are at the same time prisoners to this hope. Paul describes it in another way. He calls us jars of clay, but inside this jar of clay, we have what? We have the treasure of the gospel. See, the resurrection of Jesus is our hope that whatever we face in this world, all the pains that we endure and the disappointment that we see, all of the brokenness of our relationships, all of these things would be redeemed and made right once again. The hope of the resurrection 
gives us the guarantee that the wounds of life will become healed scars of glory. You know, some religions offer a do-over, reincarnation. Some religions say, you know what, you get to do it all over again. Some offer annihilation, extinction. Once you leave this world, it's over. The mistakes that you've made or the regrets that you have, that's it, it's over. But Jesus, no, Jesus doesn't give us reincarnation. He doesn't give us annihilation. No, Jesus offers us resurrection. Meaning everything in the past that was broken, he will redeem again. The brokenness would be made right. Wounds would become scars. Healed, healed scars. And so the resurrection, in an ironic and newfound way, gives us hope to continue to fight and strain forward. There have been more studies uh, recently done uh, on subjects who are about to face death, especially during the past few years, and there's been somewhat of a consensus of what people go through when they're about to face death. Number one, people uh, all state, um, the majority of people facing death, they all face two regrets. The first regret is not spending enough time with their loved ones. That's always the first regret. But the second regret, the second regret that people state is saying no to things. People regret saying no to opportunities, saying no to relationships, saying no to different things that go on in their lives. And when you ask them why they feel this way, it's because in the moment of their life, they always said no because they felt as though they didn't have enough time. They felt as though they couldn't give it their all. They felt as though they couldn't do a good job. So when it comes to doing good, when it comes to helping others, when it comes to relationships, all the times that they say no, those moments come back to them, they say. You know, in a weird way, the resurrection gives us newfound confidence in our life where we don't have to try to be perfect in every single way, where we don't have to try to have the perfect relationships, the perfect situations, the perfect life conditions, where we don't have to continue to beat ourselves up over and over again, constantly hurling accusations against ourselves and others. The resurrection gives us newfound hope that, you know, the things that we do in this world, however frail and however imperfect they may be, the resurrection will make all things new again. You know, one of the great hopes that we have is that at the end of the day, when we are, ro- when we are resurrected to new life, we're not going to have amnesia. We're not going to forget what life was here on this earth. No, we're going to remember those things. We're going to remember all of it. We're going to remember all the failures, all the brokenness. We're going to remember all of the sins and all the things we've done wrong. All the do-overs that we wish we could have. We're going to remember them, but we're going to remember them in a new light. Because we're going to see those things redeemed in the resurrection. And when we see these things redeemed, 
We don't see them in that way. We see them as in the light of glory. And so friends, instead of living our lives constantly wanting a do-over, I wish I could raise my kids again. I wish I could redo this relationship again. I wish I could have this other opportunity. Instead of constantly living life through the rearview mirror saying, I wish I could do it again. I wish I could do it again. The resurrection gives us hope and faith to look forward, to strain forward with great, great confidence, knowing that Jesus will make all those things new again. So please do not be afraid of engaging deeper, deeper in relationship with the possibility that you'll be hurt. Please do not be timid or hesitant about living your life confidently in the light of Jesus. As you continue to hurl accusations against yourself, as you keep account of your life, would you let those voices be drowned out by the resurrection song and hope we have in Christ Jesus? Church, let's go forth this day forward with greater confidence living our lives in the hope of the resurrection. Would you join me in prayer at this time? If we could just spend a few minutes uh, responding. I'm not raising your expectations for life. I'm not trying to raise your expectations for church. I'm not trying to raise your expectations for the stages in your life, but I'm raising your expectations for the risen, resurrected King. He came to us and He comes to us again. And as we go about our life living this, this roller coaster of expectation and disappointment, expectation and disappointment, would you now place your hope in Jesus? Would you stop looking back, saying, I wish I did this, I wish I did this, I wish I could do this, I wish I could get a do-over, but would you look forward with great, great confidence, would you live boldly in the resurrection truth that Jesus will make all things new again? The resurrection means that we, it's, it doesn't mean that we are going to have amnesia, but it means that all things will be redeemed and we will see it in the light of glory again. And so would you lay down whatever idol you have of trying to be a perfectionist, of trying to get everything right, of closing yourself off because you feel as though you can only do this or that, one or two things right. Would you live boldly in light of the gospel of what Jesus has done? Would you put your hands to this work? Would you put your hands to rebuilding? Would you look to your coming king? Spend a few minutes, would you, praying and reflecting at this time. Let's pray. Jesus. Jesus, sorry.
Jesus, our hope is in you. Jesus, we uh, are reminded this morning of um, the lasting hope that we have in our coming King, in this humble King who's mounted on a donkey, who rode into Jerusalem to take up our sins, our shame, and to rise again as the risen Lord. Father, in moments of despair and disappointment, in moments where we sometimes even hate ourselves because the mistakes we've made, we ask, oh God, that you would increase our hope, that you would cleanse our palate and give us a renewed sense and desire for the hope of the redemption of this world. Father, we ask, Lord, that every time we hurl accusations at ourselves and others, that you would remind us of this king who received accusations against all those around him. And would you show us now all of our mistakes, our lives, the brokenness that we've endured, the sins that we've committed, all of these things now in light of glory, in light of hope. Father, we pray for those who are just in the thick of things right now with life, who are constantly battling life, wondering why life is getting in the way of life, wondering why all of our hopes and the things that we have planned are not really meeting our expectations. God, in those moments of despair, increase our hope. Would you call us to be prisoners of hope, captivated by this gospel truth, that Jesus will make all things new again. Would you renew us, revive us, once again place our hope upon this truth. And we pray these things in the resurrected King's name.